Loaded Lopate at Large. I'm Loaded Lopate. Since its outbreak, the COVID pandemic has, in the shortest time, claimed more lives worldwide than any other pandemic in history. And many of us continue to face problems of health and economic security as we struggle to cope and recover from its impact. As its title suggests, Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide, Transform Your Pain and Find Your Way Forward, a new book from Dr. Joseph J. Trunzo, a professor of psychology and uh, department chair at Bryant University, and writer-editor Julie Luongo, offers a practical approach to returning to normal. It's published by Changemakers Books, and it brings Joseph and Julie to our show now. Welcome. Thank you, Linda. We're happy to be here. Hi. Now, Joseph, your research and, and clinical work focuses on treating anxiety and mood disorders, especially in, in uh, people suffering from Lyme disease, cancer, and other chronic illnesses. Has that been keeping you busy over the past couple of years while COVID uh, suddenly <laughs> I would say yes. uh, appeared? So, you know, the, the, the blessing and the curse is that um, a lot of the co- long-haul COVID symptoms are similar to and overlap that of a lot of other chronic illnesses. So I feel like I've been able to apply some of those uh, approaches and techniques to folks who are dealing with, uh, with long-haul, long-haul COVID problems. Julie, you're a writer, editor, and a novelist. How has your life been affected by COVID? Well, um, when I got sick, I had a a travel job where I was traveling um, 100%. And so that obviously got shut down. And and yeah, I mean, pretty much my my whole life changed um, when when I was sick. So I I really needed some help. And you you contacted Joseph? Well, I was um, I was an early editor on his book about Lyme disease, so I was already familiar with acceptance and commitment therapy, which is what that is about and what this book is about. So I had been using the tools of ACT, um, that's the acronym for it, uh, before I got sick. And so I really relied on them. Um, and I, I was using them, you know, before because... I had a chronic, you know, condition um, that I call aging. (laughs) I think we all have that condition. (laughs) Yeah, it was helpful. (laughs) Joseph, is your book intended as a survivor's guide to help those of us who've been seriously affected by the pandemic? Uh, uh, It is. So, um, you know, it's geared specifically towards helping people who have had uh, prolonged symptoms of COVID because, you know, it's, it seems like there are new studies coming out every day, but anywhere from a third to a half of people who get infected seem to have some kind of prolonged symptoms. So the book is technically geared specifically towards helping people to manage those symptoms, but we've all been affected in some way, shape or form by the pandemic. Um, you know, uh, rates of depression and anxiety and substance abuse are all uh, on the rise. The the social upheaval and the uh, employment economies, all of these things are are affecting all of us. And and the book, I think, is really uh, can be helpful to anybody who's uh, who's struggling with the impact of the pandemic or really any uh, any difficulties that they're experiencing in their lives. And long COVID is also known as post-COVID-19 syndrome, chronic COVID syndrome. Um, and uh, I got the name long haul syndrome from a, uh, a British woman, right, uh, who, who uh, came up with uh, the, the name Elisa uh, Perigo, an archaeologist at University College London. But um, what, how, how is it characterized uh, by persistence after the typical convalescence period of COVID-19? Uh, typically, yes. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't want to speak too uh, definitively about this. But, but you're a psychiatrist read, or psychotherapist? I'm a, psych, I'm a psychologist. Uh-huh. I'm a clinical psychologist. Okay. So um, uh, uh, basically, anybody who experiences prolonged symptoms, a typical you know, infectious period that people have where they're sick and when they have COVID is... Uh, you know, 10 days to two weeks. And then most people are either 100% better or well on their way to being better. They may have lingering, you know, problems with uh, taste or smell, but no real, uh, no real significant issues that interfere with their functioning. 
But if people have, uh, uh, you know, some of the most common things are um, prolonged uh, fatigue, uh, what we call brain fog or an inability to, uh, to think clearly. People kind of describe that as sort of like thinking in mud. Um, and uh, increased depression or anxiety or any of the other physical symptoms that may come along with that. Can I list some of them? Sure. Respiratory system disorders, long-lasting cough, muscle weakness, low-grade fever. Uh, You mentioned inability to concentrate and memory lapses, metabolic disorders, cardiovascular disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, uh, fatigue, musculoskeletal pain, blood clotting, and anemia. It's, there's a lot of stuff here, all coming uh, in the aftermath of COVID? Uh, well, uh, infections can be pretty nasty. So, uh, you know, we've seen there's a long history of infectious diseases causing multisystemic problems. Um, and it, it appears as though COVID is one of those, uh, is one of those infectious processes that has a pretty wide range of impacts and effects on uh, different individuals. And Julie mentioned age. Is age a factor in prolonging the effect? Uh, so I don't know. Um, uh, certainly, you know, the older you are, the higher your risk during the infectious period. But um, uh, I've seen studies where young people, uh, uh, adolescents, uh, young adults in their 20s and 30s have uh, prolonged symptoms of COVID. So uh, I don't. I, I would certainly say that age isn't necessarily protective. Um, so it's it it doesn't seem to be uh, it doesn't seem to be selective in who it uh, in who it targets. Everything from everyone from people who've had relatively mild infections whose symptoms weren't that bad while they were uh, while they were quote unquote sick have had prolonged difficulties and then you know certainly there are people who have had more serious infections who who end up with prolonged problems as well so it seems it seems like it can it can affect anyone we just, we just don't know the answers to all these questions quite yet they, they haven't done the research a listener asked if there's any link with other illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome uh, and if it also damages mitochondrial function. Do you uh, know? So that question, that's a little bit out of my yeah. wheelhouse. So, right. um, uh, you know, those, those, are, those are more medically, biologically based questions that I, that I don't really have the answer to. Well, a study from University of Oxford of 200 and 74,000 or so survivors of COVID-19, mainly from the United States, showed that about 37% experienced one or more symptoms between three to six months after diagnosis. Um, The three groups of symptoms were identified. Initial symptoms that peak in the first two to three weeks and then subside, stable symptoms, and symptoms that increase markedly in the first two months and and then stabilize. Uh, Julie, do you see yourself in any of that? Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting study. I, I just want to contribute this one to it as well. I just read yesterday that um, Penn State College of Medicine did um, a study where they saw that half of the, you know, 236 million people who've gotten COVID-19 since December 2019 have had symptoms up to six months after diagnosis. Um, so that's 18 million people worldwide. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I fall into that camp. You were sent to the hospital with severe chest pains and then sent to the emergency room. Uh, was it immediately apparent that you had contracted COVID? Well, um, this came after my COVID infection, which is um, pretty much how myocarditis presents. That's that's kind of the typical thing. It's a couple of weeks after. Um, Oh, so and, what and happened in the interim? Gotten... We did you think you were okay in the interim before suddenly? Yeah, uh huh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, so, yeah, and, and you said I was I was sent to the hospital. That is um, that's generous. I really I was just in deep denial about um, my chest pains, and I went to urgent care and tried to convince them that I had a chest cold. So. <laughs> Um, you know, this is, this is how avoidant people can be around their illnesses. 
Isn't it expected that people who experience severe symptoms or complications such as post-intensive care syndrome or secondary infections will take longer to recover than people who don't require hospitalization? I did just read that. Excuse me? Yeah, I did just read that. Yeah. So you don't know other than basically your, your contribution to this book is to confirm some of the things that uh, that uh, Joseph is writing and also to talk about how his approach to treatment affected you. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the book is my uh, has my first person stories um, at the end after of every each chapter. chapter. Yeah, um, about you know how I used the tools laid out and and how I I didn't use them well sometimes you know so I sh I show a lot of my mistakes um, and what I could have done better which isn't useful you know to to anyone <laughs> um, except in that you know shows you how you can um, you know pick yourself back up with these tools and make make better choices moving forward. I'm assuming that what you went through is often the case. Mm -hmm. Probably. Joseph, where does acceptance... Well, first of all, let me tell people, uh, the listeners who I'm talking to, my guests are Dr. Joseph uh, J. Trenzo and Julie Luongo, and... Uh, we are talking about a new book that's part of the Resetting Our Future series called Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide, Transform Your Pain and Find Your Way Forward. It is uh, published by Changemakers Books. Uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. You, uh, Joseph, you, you write about acceptance. So how does that come into the story? Well, uh, acceptance is a, it's a, it's a core principle of the process of acceptance and commitment therapy. So ACT is a, it's a, it's a well-established, empirically validated um, uh, approach to psychotherapy. Uh, so there's a lot of you know, very, very grounded behavioral science around this approach to helping people to deal with uh, really ultimately essentially human pain and suffering. And the idea and the notion around acceptance is that um, uh, you have to be in a place where you're willing to, uh, to experience what you're experiencing. So for example, you know, what Julie just said about, you know, she was having chest pain and she, you know, she's, desperately trying to convince the uh the doctors in the urgent care that she was at that she had a chest cold and that she didn't need to go to the emergency room so that's an excellent example of what we call experiential avoidance right so human nature that when we're faced with things that are scary or painful or difficult to want to try to uh to turn away from them and not lean into them so acceptance is really the first part of uh, you have to open yourself up to being willing to say, okay, I'm experiencing this really, really difficult thing, whatever that might be. So I have to allow myself to experience that. And while I'm doing that, I can figure out the best ways for me to move through it as opposed to try to uh, escape it, avoid it, control it, which is what, you know, kind of our knee jerk reaction tends to be around things that are uncomfortable or painful. So acceptance is really just about, recognizing what you're experiencing, uh, particularly around these things that we don't have any control over, and, uh, and then allowing yourself to move through them uh, rather than putting all of your energy into trying to control something that you really can't control. You say the experience of acceptance is like taking a ride in a hot air balloon. Um, yeah, so that's so uh, ACT uses a lot of metaphors, right? So um, the idea of the metaphor with the hot air balloon is that, um, you know, you're burning the fuel uh, and what you have to do is uh, the hotter you burn the fuel, in other words, the more you feel your emotions, uh, then the balloon actually fills up and you uh, and you become lighter and it, and you go places 
and uh, the more you uh, the more you allow yourself to feel those emotions, in other words, burn that fuel, then the farther you're going to travel, and and the better off you're going to be. And uh, the important thing to note is that no matter how much you're burning the fuel, uh, the balloon never bursts, right? So it never breaks. So if you if we consider ourselves to be the balloon, we're capable of feeling all of the emotions that we're feeling, no matter how hot or how intense they might get. Um, but th those are never going to become bigger than who we are, right? Hot air balloons don't explode because you put too much hot air into them. You just go, you just go higher and higher. So the idea is to just uh, to really open yourself up, allow yourself to expand and feel those emotions. And then uh, sometimes that's going to carry you to places that might be um, unpredictable uh, and uncomfortable. So, you know, it's tradition in ballooning that, uh, you know, you land where you land and whosever property you on, you, you, you offer them a bottle of wine and a thank you. And, um, uh, and then you pick yourself up from wherever you are and you, uh, and you keep moving forward. Um, but if you don't allow yourself to feel the emotions or to burn the fuel, so to speak, you're just going to be stuck on the ground and you're not going anywhere and your life isn't moving forward. You're just, um, uh, stagnant. Julie, you say that after your hospital stay, even simple tasks were exhausting, even just making a cup of tea. So where does acceptance come into your part of the story? Well, um, here's the thing. When, when you're sick, <laughs> we have these big brains that are always trying to conserve energy and and particularly when you're sick, it makes a lot of sense to say, like, I, I'll do it when I feel better, you know, or when I feel like it. Um, and that wasn't going to help me get better, you know, like I needed to, um, I needed to just like accept where I was at the time and do the things I needed to do do to get my energy back, you know, even, even though it was going to be painful and um, upsetting in comparison to where I had been, um, you know, like, so instead of just like going back and, you know, laying down on the couch or, you know, asking my husband to get my tea or whatever, I went out and, you know, took a walk such as it was. Um, and then yeah. uh, it, it, when did you start thinking about uh, ACT? Oh, immediately. I was, um, well, I, I think I probably uh, used it the most when I was in terrible pain. Um, so there, like Joe said, there are a lot of metaphors in ACT and, um, and they're all designed to, to stop you from like over identifying with your thoughts. So there's like metaphors and visualizations and exercises and tricks and things. And so, you know, one of the um, meditations is called boat on the water and, um, and it's exactly what you're thinking, you know, you're in a boat on the water and it, there's some waves and they, you know, they rock you around um, and they might get, you know, big and rowdy and it might be still and calm. Um, and you just, you know, live in that, you know, moment where, you know, things are chaotic and things are calm and you're still you and you're fine. And so I would do this when I was in a lot of pain because my pain was coming in waves and I thought it seemed appropriate. Um, and, and what it did, like, I felt like I was just in pain all the time and, um, and what I noticed then was that my pain was coming in waves. And so I had pain and I also had not pain. <laughs> and that really transformed my relationship to pain in a profound way, like that still exists now. Um, and it's that, you know, it, it's temporary even when it's at its worst. So, Robert, you write that a key is to stay in the present moment. How does that apply to recovering from long-term COVID, uh, the sort of thing that Julie just described? So, uh, so a big part of uh, of ACT um, is uh, you want to you want to keep yourself present, right? So, what happens when we're in pain, or when we're sick, or when we're having uh, difficult or uncomfortable emotions, or we're in a a difficult period in our life, uh, our brains have a tendency to go two places uh, that either go back 
right? And you think about how things were or how things used to be, and you sort of, for lack of a better term, lament the past or wish that you could go back to how things were, or they tend to go forward and you start to project all of these uh, potentially negative um, uh, negative things into your future. Am I ever going to get better again? Will I ever be myself again? Am I going to be this sick for the rest of my life? Am I going to lose my job? How am I going to support myself? How am I going to support my family? <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, uh, the more we do that, the more that tends to feed a lot of uh, a lot of negative and uncomfortable emotion. So the idea behind staying present is to uh, to really just focus on what is uh, what you're dealing with in this moment. Uh, um, your your mind is going to wander. It's going to go off to the future. It's going to go back to the past. And your idea the idea is to just sort of catch that and redirect yourself to focusing on um, uh, on the here and the now. And you know, there's there's an old saying that uh, uh, in the present, anxiety is like a fish out of water. Anxiety is a very future based emotion. And if you can stay present, uh, uh, anxiety doesn't have much, uh, it doesn't have much room to breathe. So, um, you know, rather than worrying about uh, what kind of a parent you're going to be to your kids in the future, because you're sick, uh, try to focus on being the best parent that you can be in this particular moment or the best partner to your spouse or the best uh, uh, employee to your job. Um, uh, smelling the best flower, right? You know, not to be too cliche about it, but, in, you know, really engaging in a lot of present sensory experiences and trying to stay uh, uh, as in the moment as you can. And it could be something as simple as like watching your favorite show on television or Netflix or however people view media these days, um, just to uh, just to keep yourself in the here and now and not let your brain uh or your mind kind of run away with the future or the past because we don't have any control over any of that. The only thing we can really uh, deal with or manage is um, uh, is the present moment. I, that's probably good advice uh, for what's coming up with the Thanksgiving uh, dinner with with friends and family for so many people. <laughs> Indeed. Now, a listener asks if there's any link with other illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome and if it also damages mitochondrial function. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, what I would say is there's certainly, I would, it seems like there's overlap in that the symptoms can seem very similar. Um, but again, not having uh, the appropriate medical background to answer that question. I don't know uh, okay. exactly what COVID does to mitochondrial function and how that compares to chronic fatigue or, uh, or other infectious diseases. Okay, but that listener's question uh, leads me to something else, to addressing my listeners. Um, listeners, if you know someone suffering from long-haul COVID or have it yourself, uh, we invite you to give us a call here at 212 209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And please try to remain within the topic, which is long-haul COVID, the, uh, the topic that we are discussing today. Uh, other aspects of, of COVID uh, have been dealt with on other shows, so uh, there's no need to discuss them now. Again, the number is 212 209 2877. There are a number of other words that pop up here. Um, one is diffusion, another one is values. You, which would you like to tackle first, Leonard? Which one would you like to they're tackle? They're both first? important. So, uh, uh, you can go ahead, Julie. I, I want to do diffusion because that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> so, the Diffusion is just a, a way to um, to detach yourself from your thoughts, to not get you know over involved with what you're thinking. Um, 
And so one of the exercises in the book is a linguistics um, trick, which I really love. So so here's here's the deal. So I'm I'm sick and you know I'm like on the couch and um, I'm having like a really frustrating day because I'd felt better. And so so my first thought is uh, like my day is shot. And then my next thought, like because I I really quickly escalate, is like I'm never going to be able to do anything active again. You know, I'm like, so this is called black and white thinking, I think. Um, but you thought it was really going to last your whole life. That. Well, I, I didn't I didn't know if, you know, I'd ever get my functioning back, you know, like, really? I mean, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it was totally possible in, in my frame of mind at the time. So instead of like debating that and saying it's irrational, which I can, I can hear that you're saying to me, um, I don't, I don't have to think that way because um, I just catch myself like going down this like doom spiral. And, and I think the thought, so like, I'm never going to be able to do anything active again. And, and then I tag the front of that with, I'm having the thought that I'm never going to be active again. So instead of like, I totally believe myself, I have 100% credibility with myself. So when I say I'm never gonna be active again, I believe it. When I say I'm having the thought that I'm never gonna be active again, that t- changes the focus from the, the, the thought that I'm never gonna be active again to it just being a thought. And I totally believe myself, I'm having the thought. and with a little bit of distance, I can see that um, that is, you know, probably not true, but it's moreover, it's just not a useful thought to have when I'm not feeling well. And in fact, then I can say like, okay, I'm resting and I'm listening to my body and I'm taking care of myself. And, um, you know, from that perspective, I can make healthy choices to take care of myself instead of beating myself up. And how long did this process last? Oh, how long did I feel sick? You have to go through um, all of this because it sounds well, torturous. It was, it was months. It took, yeah, it took, it took months until I felt, um, you know, like back to 100%. Okay. You know, like my heart really took a beating. I'm going to give out that phone number again. Uh, if people want to join in this discussion uh, on long-haul COVID, our number here is 212 2877. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Back with Joseph J. Trenzo, Dr. Joseph J. Trenzo, and Julie Luongo talking about the book Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide from Change Makers Book. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM. I'm Leonard Lopate. Uh, we also were going to talk about values. Uh, Joseph, how do they apply here? Are you still with us, Joseph? Hello. Yeah, I'm okay. here. Okay, I, I think a knob, a knob had to be turned to get you no back problem. on the air. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, uh, so we talked. We spoke. To, we spoke earlier about uh, about acceptance, and what I would say is that uh, values are kind of the uh, they're like the anchor to help you with the acceptance process. So our values are uh, the things that are fundamentally uh, and truly meaningful and important to us. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we talk in, in act, we talk a lot about things we can't control. So we can't, we can't typically control what's running through our mind. We can't typically control what we feel, but we do get to decide what's important to us. So, and this varies from person to person, obviously, and you get to choose your own, but for most people, you know, it's things like, you know, I, I want to be a good, you know, I want to be the best partner I can, uh, to my spouse, or I want to be the best parent I can to my child or the best employee at my job. Uh, I want to be the healthiest person I can be, whatever those things might be. So where, where we tend to go wrong is we, we make decisions based on trying to control our emotions. So I feel, I feel pain or discomfort or, uh, or anxiety doing this. So I'm going to do something else to try to make that feeling better, or I'm going to do something to try to chase a particular feeling. Um, this is, you know, often why people will, you know, like abuse drugs or alcohol or stay in dysfunctional relationships, whatever it might be. So what we, what we encourage people to do is to use their values as an anchor for their decision-making. So if your value is to, uh, to be as healthy as you can be, uh, if you're feeling sick, um, then you want to turn your attention towards doing things that are going to be, uh, that are going to increase or move you towards that value of, uh, being as healthy as you can be. And sometimes, uh, that's painful and it's difficult. Uh, you know, physical therapy is a good example of this, right? So if somebody has an injury and then uh, they have to go through rehabilitation, uh, physical therapy is painful. It takes time. It hurts while you're doing it. But if you want to get back to functioning the way that you were, you have to go through it. So when people are, are in a situation where they have to accept something, if you're accepting something that's painful or uncomfortable, but it's in service of something that's meaningful and important to you, then it makes the burden of what you're accepting a little bit lighter. And if we think about it, there's actually very few things that are deeply meaningful to us in our lives that aren't also a little bit painful or a little bit difficult, right? So, uh, you know, um, marriage, right? So uh, marriage is a wonderful institution, but I don't think anybody who's been married for any appreciable period of time would say that it's always easy. <laughs> so um, there are parts of that. There are parts of being in a relationship and sharing your life with another person that that are difficult and uncomfortable, but we choose to accept that in service of the value of, uh, of sharing your life with someone and having a partner and a companion. Exactly. Um, so, uh, when we make our decisions based on values rather than based on trying to control uncontrollable emotions or thoughts, that is much more likely to move our life forward in a meaningful and enriching direction. And even though it might be uncomfortable or it might cause some pain or discomfort, there's a purpose behind that pain. And when there's purpose, then that's not suffering. Pain without purpose is suffering. So when you're uh, when you're just kind of you know chasing your proverbial tail, trying not to feel a certain way, and all you're doing is avoiding, 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 then your whole life just becomes about uh, trying not to feel a particular way. But if you're able to accept a, a particular emotion in service of doing something that that moves you towards your values, uh, then life tends to get a whole lot better. And that's um, it's a really key piece of the ACT approach. It's, uh, it's I, I think, unique to ACT, and it's one of the things that, uh, that I think is really, really important for people to recognize. And uh, I assume that advice would apply to all the areas of your research and clinical work, which uh, involve treating anxiety, mood disorders, especially from people suffering from Lyme disease, cancer, and other chronic illnesses. Uh, I talk about this every day with, with almost all of my uh, with almost all of my clients, regardless of what uh, of what they're dealing with. OK, well, so that uh, also means that uh, when we open the phones, which we were about to do, uh, we have a lot to discuss. But uh, basically, if you know someone suffering from long haul COVID or have it yourself or uh, have had to deal with some of the other uh, illnesses that we've been discussing, we invite you to give us a call at 212-209-2877. And let's go to a call. BAI, you're on the air. 
Yes, I have a question. They say, and I respect the doctor. I give him kudos for staying in his specialty. But there are people who are getting depressed because of the effect of fatigue and illness. And they're saying there are other people who then have depression, other things as a result of the virus. From your practice and experience, do you have any breakdown? And the other issue I want to address that no one's discussing, we're looking at a long-term disability crisis from all the people who are going to be permanently affected from COVID. Uh, so I'll, I'll answer your first question, and it, it's, it's, it's a very, very good one. Um, uh, I should say I'll try to answer it because there really isn't much of an answer. So this, this kind of enters into the, in, a bit into the medical piece, but it, I, th- I do think it's important that we make a distinction between uh, you know, being depressed or anxious because uh, because you're sick and that has turned your life upside down and maybe you lost your job or you're not working or you're on disability or disrupts your family dynamic. And, you know, nobody's particularly happy when they're uh, when they're feeling ill and they're not functioning the way that they would like to. Um, so we can sort of refer to that as more of, a, you know, um, I don't like using the word situational depression, but that's, good. that's kind of what we're talking about. Uh, but the other question that I think the caller was getting at is, uh, you know, is there is there actually an organic basis to the depression? So, in other words, uh, you know, is the virus uh, affecting cellular function or affecting uh, uh, nervous system function? And there's a much more biological or organic uh, organically driving factor to uh, depression or anxiety. Um, so. For long haul COVID, I don't think we have the answer to that. Uh, for a lot of other illnesses, we know that there are infectious diseases that can cause really, really significant uh, neurologically based and psychiatrically based problems. So it goes as far back as syphilis, uh, um, neuroborreliosis, which is uh, you know basically Lyme disease that's gotten into the brain. Hmm. Um, so I don't think it's I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that. Uh, uh, to certainly to ask the question and to do the research as far as you know w- what's happening as far as the uh, COVID nineteen and the coronavirus and what it's actually doing to our nervous systems and is there a more organic uh, push behind the uh, uh, behind the symptomology and uh, to his second point uh, the the disability crisis um, uh, th- that's a little out of my league but I, I he's right <laughs> so um, uh, I think that. You know, nobody really knows how long this is going to last. There have been people who have been suffering from long-haul symptoms for, at this point, uh, well over a year, going into a year and a half. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's I, I, I think that somebody, somebody needs to be paying attention to that for sure. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Another great show, Leonard. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, before we get to the next call... And remember, our number is 212-209-2877. Julie, I was just wondering, were you able to do any work when you were going through all of this? Yeah, um, I uh, I worked on this book that uh-huh. you have right now in your hand. So, but you, um, you you haven't you also have written a novel in stories, and uh, you've done uh, you've edited uh, so. Were you able to to concentrate enough to do that kind of work? Yeah, I was. Um, not not at the beginning, but once I felt well enough, um, you know, I pretty much mined my values, and I I realized that I wanted to do this. So, um, you know, I reached out to Joe and and proposed the idea, and uh, he's he's really really busy. Well, you so proposed the book, okay? Of course, he said. <laughs> Of course, he said yes. <laughs> okay, let's take um, another call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, Lenny. How are you? Great show once again. I believe my wife has long-term COVID because she has diarrhea constantly. She's bleeding from her anus, and she's always uh, always fatigued in the middle of the day. She has no energy left. She's very irritable. So I did think she, did she have COVID before? Yes, she, yes, she did, Lenny, oh. yes. So, you know... It's just one of those symptoms. I guess I don't, I don't know how much longer she's gonna. You know, I have just a little bit of a cough. So it's just one of those things. 
Joseph, I know you said you're not a doctor, but uh, you probably still have heard these kinds of things from people you've been dealing with. So, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if there was a, if there was a question from a caller. Um, uh, so obviously I have great sympathy for what uh, his wife and he are going through. Uh, and all I can say is I hope he's, uh, he, I hope his wife is following up with, with appropriate and proper medical care, uh, which admittedly can be frustrating because, you know, I've sent people to, you know, uh, long haul COVID clinics and they just, they just do not have a lot of answers right now. So, um, uh, you know, she's obviously dealing with some significant and severe symptoms. So when, when there's, when, when there are not things that can medically be done to quote unquote cure what's going on, then that's when, you know, that's when coping becomes all the more important because these are things that we don't have a lot of control over. And then we have to figure out ways to, um, to manage that and still try to, you know, to lead a, a meaningful life. And that's, that's really what yeah. acceptance and commitment therapy in the book is all about. She dropped about 10 pounds too. Huh. Well, yeah. but it, it, and by the way, we we should assume this is something that isn't going to just end soon. Uh, I gather that uh, there's another aspect that we could call long haul COVID, and that is that it's going to be with us for a long time. Uh, it appears so. Um, I don't uh, the. Um you know, where we're at in terms of uh, treatment and vaccines and all of those sorts of things, you know, most of the uh, most of the epidemiologists that I've heard speak about this or that I've read about uh, basically say that, you know, the, the virus is endemic at this point. I heard one uh, immunologist say eradicating COVID from uh, from the world population is something akin to building a staircase to the moon. <laughs> so, uh, um so I think that this is, you know, we're going to we're going to have to figure out ways to live with and around this. Um, and that's uh, that's part of the reason that 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 we wrote the book. I, I'm getting too old to walk up a staircase that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so, Leonard, if it's OK, I do I do want to make a point because we've been we've been talking a lot about, you know, sort of like uh, uh kind of pushing yourself through an illness yeah. and, and doing things that uh, that you can do or that you need to do. I do, I do want to say that it's important to recognize what our limits are, mm -hmm. and it's not a good idea to push too hard or too far. So everything that we're talking about in terms of engaging in value-driven behavior is it's all defined within the parameters of what you feel capable of doing because we have a tendency to push ourselves too hard and feeling guilty if we're not doing X, Y, and Z. And sometimes uh, uh, naps are very, very value driven. So I just, I don't, I don't want people to develop a guilt complex about not pushing and driving because that's, that's not always the best approach to take when you're, when you're, when you're feeling ill, that could, that can backfire terribly. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. And my guests are Dr. Joseph J. Trenzo and Julie Luongo. The book, Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide, is published by Changemakers Books. And let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. It's me. It's you. Um, I was wondering what if any studies have been done on uh, people who are susceptible uh, to the COVID. In other words, like uh, any, any disease, some people come down in it and some people walk through it unscathed. So I was wondering if they done any genetic studies to uh joseph i know you're not a doctor so on one level uh, you probably can't answer that but do you think there are psychological aspects as well so what i would say is uh so i'm like i'm i'm, sh I'm sure like i don't i don't know of anything that's been as as studied as COVID has in the last uh in the last you know two years or so 
I do know that the NIH just launched a their, their funding and launched a massive, massive study looking specifically at long haul COVID, uh, physiological aspects, psychological and psychiatric aspects. Um, uh, I'm very, very pleased to hear that they've done that because I think that that really comprehensive research will yield uh, a lot of data that will hopefully give us answers to a lot of the questions that that your callers and people are asking that we like we, we just don't know. Uh, you know, this has only been with us less than two years, and um, science takes time. So uh, uh, we wish it could be faster, but in order to do it well and do it right, uh, it takes uh, uh, it takes time. So we just we don't we, we do not have all the answers yet. Okay, well, let's go take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you well. Excellent. Thank you, Leonard. Um, I appreciate the call, and I appreciate the public comment. You know, I got a question for the doctor. As of now, to date, I know more people that died with this experimental gene therapy shot than I do from the actual covid um, well, that's, by the way, that's a topic of another show, really. Uh, and we have talked about that on other shows. Right now, we're talking about the psychological impact of long-haul COVID. Uh, so why don't you call back when we have Monona Russell or one of the other guests who deals with that uh, to discuss that. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's take another call here. Uh, my guests are... Dr. Joseph J. Trenzo and Julie Luongo, the book Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, I'm Can I give my Say that again? You sound like you're in some hallway. Huh? Try that again. Can I give my wife for this cover? Can I give some Dr. Seltzer? Ah, okay, that's very funny. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, B- that's it? Uh, you, I guess uh, some people just see uh, an opportunity to, to make lame jokes when you open the phones. But uh, you've heard some some rather, I don't know what words, almost like uh, Desperate calls from a couple of listeners. Uh, are you seeing a lot of desperation from the people you're dealing with? Uh, absolutely. Uh, people are people are scared. Look, the um, if if I if I could use one word to describe uh, where people are at right now, uh, it's it's uncertain. Uh, we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know uh, what's going to happen. We don't know about, uh, you know, long-term effects of COVID. We don't know about long-term effects of, uh, of vaccines. There, there are just a lot of question marks. And question marks drive fear and they drive anxiety and they drive people to behaviors around trying to control that fear and anxiety. And a big part of what we, uh, of what we're proposing in this book and what ACT um, espouses is to not dictate, not make choices about your behavior around trying to control your emotions, make choices about your behavior around moving towards your values and what's meaningful and important to you. And that's not always going to be comfortable but it almost always is going to land you in a much better place than it than it would have otherwise. Julie, where are you now? Uh, are you totally free of, of long haul COVID? I am. Uh, you know, as far as I know, um, you know, sometimes I, I like I'll I'll have you know some brain fog and I'll think, gee, I wonder if this is um, uh, is a thing from from my COVID infection. But I'll never know. So. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel well. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm glad because uh, you sounded good on the air. You end the book. I don't have a lot more time, but you end the book with recommended reading. So even though COVID is pretty new, many of the things we've been discussing have been around for a while. Uh, yeah. So uh, acceptance and commitment therapy has been uh you know, I mean, the scientific research behind it has been going on probably for know, probably 40, almost 50 years at this point. The the behavioral science around uh, 
the around act is really quite strong and has a significant history uh, as a, as a psychotherapy approach uh, every day, new studies are coming out about the, uh, about the effectiveness of acceptance and commitment therapy. So uh, there, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really just a messenger, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not one of the founders of act. I'm a practitioner. I'm not a, I'm not a founder, but uh, the, the, the giants in the field have written, uh, extensively. There are recordings on YouTube. There are books. There's tons of stuff on websites. Um, there, there are resources abound. If you want to learn more about acceptance and commitment therapy beyond just what Julie and I wrote in the book, there's no shortage. Uh, there's no shortage of material for people to consume on this. And I would highly encourage everyone to do so because uh, uh, I, th I think, I think it leads to a, I think it leads to a better life. Dr. Joseph Trenzo is professor of psychology and department chair at Bryant University in Smithfield, Rhode Island. He also serves as the deputy director of Bryant University's Center for Health and Behavioral Sciences and is a practicing clinical psychologist. Uh, his uh, clinical work focuses on treating anxiety and mood disorders. Uh, just, uh, Julie Luongo is a writer-editor and the author of The Hard Way, a novel in stories, and her editing has helped people start businesses, finish creative projects, get jobs, customers' attention, education, and money. And they have collaborated on a book called Long Haul COVID, A Survivor's Guide. Change, it's from Changemakers Books. And I thank the both of you so much for being on our show today. Thanks so much for having us, Leonard. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to Reggie Johnson, our live engineer, and to Leonard Lopez at large executive producer Jesse Lent for all of the great work that they do throughout the week. You can access our archive of over 500 shows at WBAI.org. We're also available on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And you can also find our past interviews at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I go, I need to ask you to support WBAI. And if you can do that by and you can do that by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. on this historic station, the only one on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener sponsored. So why not? make that call right now to ensure that the show and the station that brings it to you will be here in the years to come. One great way to show your support for what we do on London Lopate is Large is to become a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. BAI buddies provide the station with a steady, stable source of support, something we need now more than ever. But however you choose to donate, what matters is that you join your fellow listeners who keep this alternative to corporate radio alive and well through their generosity. We don't take money from other sources. We rely 100% on our listeners. Again, the number to call to make your tax-deductible contribution is 212-209-2950, or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. And please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, and we thank you so much. I hope you can join us again tomorrow when Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin will discuss her book, Resistance, How Women Saved Democracy from Donald Trump. We'll see you then.